Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Thursday, February 16th slate of college basketball at DFS that is taking place on DraftKings and FanDuel. As I say time and time again, I'm just thankful FanDuel is doing full lineup contests. They're a little bit slacking in terms of the games that they're putting on the slates. They have a four-game slate as opposed to a full 11-game slate from DraftKings. Um, But still, I'm thankful FanDuel is having full lineup contests. Um, I've actually been running a little bit better on FanDuel than DraftKings. So, you know, keep it coming, FanDuel. Let's, Let's keep doing this thing. Now, before we get to breaking down the slate, I do have a little bit of a personal announcement to make. And if you know me personally, um, then you already know what's coming here probably. Um, But me and my wife are expecting our first child. Um, It's going to be due in August. um, And we are both super excited, super looking forward to it. Now, here on the podcast, you should not notice any changes until August. Um, you know, we're going to have some ultrasound appointments and stuff like that. I still should be able to get out the normal episodes, no problem. However, come August, life's going to change a little bit. So um, don't worry, the podcast is not going away. You will probably see me record and release my preseason fantasy football podcasts earlier in the summer. Um, so that way, you know, by the time August comes around, all the content's been released and it's still up available for you to listen to. Um, and then, you know, once the baby comes, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But um, it's going to be a big life change and we're both really excited about it. Now, if, if y'all will let me kind of rant, well, not rant, but just kind of monologue for a little bit. The, the funny part is like now that we're telling people, everybody asking, you know, are you ready? Like, you know, that's the que- number one question everybody asks is, are you ready? And I'll be honest, I don't know if you can ever really be ready for something like that. Like, it's just a huge life change and, you know, it just kind of fundamentally changes the way that, you know, I'm going to go about my daily life. But uh, I can say this, it is the next chapter and I'm looking forward to it. And being a teacher and a coach, I come across a lot of different parents of a lot of different types. And I don't really know what type of parent I'm going to make just yet. I really don't. But what I can guarantee is kind of like, playing fantasy sports, kind of like making this podcast. I can put in all the effort, I can do all the research, and I can make the best decisions with the future in mind. Now, granted, being a parent, there's going to be a little more consequences than determining who to put is my $5,000 player into a DraftKings lineup. But, um, you know, it's definitely kind of the same concept. Like anything in life, if you put maximum effort into it, you can do the best that you can, and that's all that I'm going to try to be. And, you know, the second question that anybody asks is, you know, do you want a boy or a girl? And I think deep down, every guy wants a son, like even if they don't want to admit it. Um, But I'll be excited either way. If it's going to be a boy, you know, he's going to be my best friend in training. We're going to be growing up or he's going to be growing up watching, you know, football and basketball and golf with me, you know, riding along on the golf course. And if it's a girl, she could be doing those things as well. But, you know, I'm also going to be wrapped around her little finger, just absolutely, but, you know, whatever she wants. And then when she gets to high school, she's not going to be allowed within 100 feet of a boy. <laughs> so, you know, um, just kind of whether it's a boy or a girl, that child is going to be so loved and we are so looking forward to it. And whether they are a boy or a girl, they're going to be able to explain to everybody in the room what an RPO is. And they're going to be able to explain to everybody that when the announcer says they don't really need a three here, they kind of do need a three there. Uh, And they're also going to be participating in fantasy leagues and making brackets as just another way of bonding with their old man uh, and probably doing better than their old man, if we're being honest. And I just wanted to kind of share and monologue that with you guys a little bit. So thank you guys for allowing me kind of the platform and space to do that. But, you know. An announcement's over now, so let's go ahead and get on with this daily fantasy slate. We're going to talk about the games to target, talk about the guard position, and the forward position. But first, a quick word from our friends at Anchor. 
All right, so looking at the DraftKings slate, there is three games that stand above the rest in terms of games to target, and actually only one of these is on the FanDuel slate. So the first one is Gonzaga at Loyola Marymount. There is a total in Vegas of 155.5. Ken Palm has this game as Gonzaga 81-75. to And the first matchup between these two teams, Loyola Marymount actually won 68-67 at the Kennel in Spokane, Washington. This one is in L.A. So um, Gonzaga looking to get a little bit of revenge. Both these teams like to push the pace. Should be a lot of fantasy points to be had between those two teams. Now, the one that is on the FanDuel slate and is the second highest total on the DraftKings slate is Ohio State at Iowa. There's a total of 152.5 in that one. Ken Palm has that one as 82 to 77 Iowa. And the first matchup was a big win for the Buckeyes. It was 93 to 77. So um, you're looking at a very big opportunity for a lot of points from both those teams. Ohio State was absolutely terrible on offense on Sunday. So they get a nice little bounce back opportunity with an Iowa team that likes to push the tempo. It is not as good a defense as Michigan State. Now, the third game target is UCF versus Memphis. Uh, the total is 149.5. Ken Palm has this one as 79 to 65 Memphis. The first meeting between these two teams was a 107 to 104 Memphis win in double overtime. That game was 78 to 78 at the end of regulation. So you did have 178 points scored in regulation in that one. So that makes a great segue because we're going to go ahead and transition on over to talking about the guards. And the first one up was in that UCF and Memphis game. And it is Kendrick Davis of Memphis. He is the highest-priced guard on the DraftKings slate. He had 56.8 fantasy points in that last game against UCF, and he's got a pretty good run recently. He's hit four times value in three of his last five games. Now, the one thing that does worry me is that this is a little bit of a tempo down spot for Memphis playing against UCF, who is 332nd in the country in tempo. However, Davis did have a lot of success in that double overtime game, and I think that even if this game doesn't go to double overtime, I think that there's still a reasonable chance for Kendrick Davis to hit good value. UCF's a pretty good matchup for I think because they give up a lot of free throws and Kendrick Davis has his best games when he lives at the foul line. He was 21 for 23 from the foul line against UCF in that first matchup. So I do think that there is definitely a legitimate possibility to putting Kendrick Davis into your lineups. I think a lot of ownership at the very top will navigate towards Zach Eady. So your other high-priced guys are going to be lower owned, which could give you a little bit better leverage in these DFS contests. Now, looking further down the board, UCLA's Jaime Jaquez Jr. gets dual eligibility, and he is a high upside, inconsistent fantasy option. In his last 10 games, he has three games over 50 fantasy points, but only one other game in those 10 is above 35. He either gets you five times value or three times value. There isn't really a whole lot in between. However, I think this spot could be a big opportunity for Jaquez, as Stanford is 260th in the nation in turnover percentage, according to Ken Palm, and he does get quite a few steals. So I think that with the steals upside and UCLA being 14-point favorites and expected to score a lot of points and win this game, I think there is a path for Jaime Jaquez Jr., but just know when you're playing him, he's certainly not a safe option. He's either going to get you a lot or not a lot of fantasy points. Looking further down the board, Jameer Young of Maryland had a pretty solid performance against Purdue last time. He had 36 fantasy points, and that game, the first time Purdue and Maryland played, was a 58-55 rock fight. you got to feel like this one's going to be higher scoring, and I definitely like Young's ceiling because of that factor. Now, Drew Peterson and Boogie Ellis of USC are huge blowout risks against Cal. Cal is one of the worst Power 5 teams in the country, um, and I expect UCLA to win this one big. And when they do win big, Peterson and Ellis are usually sitting out a majority of the second half. However, if there was a counter-argument to the whole blowout risk deal, it would be a guy like Marcus Sasser, who played against SMU the first time and had 35.3 against SMU when 
Houston won by 34 points. So, you know, if there is a blowout risk, then maybe that guy helps them get to the blowout in the first place. And so maybe that would be the argument for Peterson and Ellis, but I just think there's better plays available at a lower price. And so let's go ahead and look on down at the 7K range. The next guy I am interested in is Cam Shelton of Loyola Marymount. Um, he has three straight games over 40 fantasy points, and he had 39.8 fantasy points last time Loyola and Gonzaga played. That's almost 40 fantasy points. And he has an absolutely massive usage rate. He is used in this Loyola offense quite a lot. They play at a decent tempo. Gonzaga plays at a decent tempo. Um, I think that he's a little bit of a misprice, if I'm being honest. And I think this is an absolutely great spot for him. I definitely could see a path to him getting to five times faster. Value. Now for Utah, Raleigh Worcester and Lazar Stefanovic have both been really up and down since teammate Gabe Madsen got injured. They both seen a little bit of a boost in minutes and a little bit of a boost in usage, but I think they've been kind of game flow dependent when it comes to their actual production. You know, if it's a blowout win or a blowout loss, they're just not going to see as much. And this should be a fairly close high scoring game against Arizona. I don't expect Utah to win, but I expect them to kind of keep it within striking distance so that these two guys will stay on the floor. And I think that it is a solid spot for both Worcester and Stefanovic. Now heading down the 6K range, speaking of Arizona, Courtney Ramey has five straight games over 23 fantasy points, and I don't mind going back to him against Utah. Also in the 6K range, all of the UCF guards that are in this range intrigue me in different ways. Darius Johnson is their team leader in usage. Now, he did not play against Memphis the first time, so we don't have a box score to look at of that game to know kind of what he would do. Um, but he is the team winner in usage, so he gets the ball a lot. And in his last two games, he's kind of shown that upside with 41.8 and 32.3 fantasy points in his last two games. Like Cam Shelton, I feel like he's a little bit of a mispriced, and I think he carries a lot of upside. C.J. Kelly intrigues me for a different reason. He had 39.8 fantasy points last time against Memphis, but again, you got to remember, that was without Darius Johnson. However, Darius Johnson returning to the lineup doesn't seem to really kind of bog Kelly down a whole lot. He has games of 29, 21, and 30 fantasy points with Darian Johnson's return back in the lineup. So I think that Kelly is still in a solid spot as well. Ithiel Horton is definitely the boom or bust option of the three. He is by far the least consistent, but he actually has a higher usage rate and generally sees more shots than C.J. Kelly. So I think that Horton might be more of a GPP type play. Kelly might be more of a cash game type play. And Darius Johnson is just in a smash spot all around. Now looking down in the 5K range, we got to talk about the Ohio State point guard situation. So Isaac Likely, transfer from Oklahoma State, seemed to have the job won after an 18-10-7 stat line over 40 fantasy points against these Iowa Hawkeyes that Ohio State is playing Thursday night. However, he is almost like out of the rotation completely by now. He only played six minutes in Ohio State's last game against Michigan State. Bruce Thornton, who is sitting at only $5,400 on DraftKings, played 38 minutes of that game against Michigan State. Now, here's the kind of bad part of that, though. Ohio State was very bad in that game against Michigan State. They only scored 41 fantasy points. So the question becomes, does Chris Holtman try to switch it up, or does he continue with Thornton, who he seemed to show a lot of loyalty to on Sunday? Now, Here's my thought is Ohio State's offense can't possibly be this bad again against Iowa. They scored over 90 points the first time they played Iowa. So I don't think they're only going to score 41 again. I think that total is going to be in the 70s. And so whoever ends up with those point guard minutes carries a lot of upside. I think that it's going to be Thornton. I don't think that Chris Holtman played him for 38 minutes on Sunday for no reason. Now, another game or another guy to look out for is Roddy Gale Jr., 
he kind of took Isaac Lightley's minutes. He played 27 minutes against Michigan State, but he only had 14.5 fantasy points. But again, it was because that Ohio State offense was so bad. So maybe you can catch Gale at, you know, before his price gets adjusted for these minutes that he's getting, and maybe he can have a bigger performance against a lesser defensive team in Iowa. I definitely think all three of those point guards are in play. Lightley definitely carries the most lit risk because of him seemingly being in the doghouse. Gale carries a lot of risk because, you know, he's kind of just now coming onto the scene. Thornton is probably the safest option, but again, I would not classify him as safe. All three have legitimate upside though. Now heading on down the board, Loa Marymount's Jaywin Anderson is a big usage guy who is dependent on his shot making to have a good game. When his shot goes in, he has a good fantasy output. When it doesn't go in, he doesn't. It's not rocket science. Now his shot was going in against Gonzaga the last time they played. He had 25 fantasy points in that first matchup. Sticking in the 5K range, somebody has to do something for this Cal Golden Bears offense with Devin Askew missing the rest of the season. And DeWan Clayton seems to be that guy. When he is dressed up and healthy, he has a massive usage rate. And looking down to the 4K range, Joel Brown plays a ton of minutes for Cal. And I would like to think that, you know, this Cal offense can't continue to be this bad, especially against you know, not as good defenses as they've been playing. And so Joel Brown might have a little bit of upside for you there in the 4K range. Another guy I like in the 4K range is Colorado's Luke O'Brien. He has filled in nicely for injured teammate Javon Hadley. I think he's a solid high floor option in this range. I also like Washington State's Jay Mullen's chances to hit four times value. Now, in terms of a few kind of more GPP type plays, Emmanuel Sharp is Houston's blowout king. He comes in in the second half of blowouts and just you know, kind of does whatever he wants and has some pretty good fantasy outputs because of that. He had 19 fantasy points last time Houston played SMU. I think he could definitely get that going again if Houston is able to go up early. And then UCF's Tyam Freeman is a high upside dart throw. He's not really like a guard in my opinion. I think he should probably be as a forward on DraftKings, but hey, it is what it is. I think he's a dart throw that does have upside because of the tempo that Memphis plays uh, and because he is still getting a, a decent amount of minutes. All right, so that does it for the guard position. So let's take a quick breather and then let's break down the big fellas. All right, heading to the fourth position, we're going to start talking about the biggest guy of them all, and that is Zach Eady of Purdue. And I got to be honest, y'all, I feel like he is, at this point, more of a cash game play because of how expensive he is. Like, I really like his chances to return you four times value, but at this high of a salary, I don't know if the upside is there for five and six times value. And I think if you can fit him into your lineup, like, he's definitely a legitimate option, but I'd actually think that there's better points per dollar values elsewhere. Now, one thing he does have going for him is he did have 48.5 fantasy points against Maryland. And even at this absurd salary, that is four times value. So um, like I said, he can get you four times value, but I think he's a cash game play because of that. I don't think he has um, like a 75 point ceiling to get you five or six times value. Now, Azulis Tubelis is one of those guys that might have more points per dollar upside than Zach Eady, but I think he carries a lot more risk. Zach Eady's floor is probably as safe as anybody's in college basketball right now. Uh, Tubelis kind of has his ups and downs, but I think if you catch him on an up, it could be a really you know, really good night for you. Because in terms of game theory, right, I think a lot of people are going to pay up for Edie and that's going to leave the guys right below Edie in terms of like a little bit of lesser ownership than you would expect. And so maybe Tubelis is that guy and he has the upside to get the same or more points as Zach Edie. And so if you play Tubelis at lesser ownership, 
at a lesser price, and he gets you the same output as Zach Eady, that is a big W for you against the rest of the field and the fact that you can squeeze more guys into your lineup. So I think that Tubelis makes sense as a game theory play. In terms of an actual play, I kind of see this as a get-back game for Arizona after that loss against Stanford. So I think they might look to feed Tubelis, and it could be, could be a monster game for him. Memphis's DeAndre Williams has been great recently, but last time they played UCF, Memphis had a lot of injuries, and the game went to double overtime, so it should be an absolute smash spot for him, right? Well, he only had 24.3 fantasy points, so for whatever reason, he didn't have a whole lot of success against UCF the first time. That kind of has me a little bit worried heading into this matchup with UCF the second time. Two other guys in the 9K range that just kind of were just kind of average the first time against their opponents. Drew Timmy had 32.8 fantasy points last time against Loyola Marymount, and Keegan Murray had 30.3 fantasy points last time against Ohio State. Those are kind of just very pedestrian performances for those two. I think they're both still in play here on this Thursday night, but I kind of was hoping for a better result in the first time around than what I saw. Still in the 8K range now, Houston's Jairus Walker would be the guy that I wouldn't be concerned with in terms of blowout risk for Houston. He had 42.5 fantasy points in only 25 minutes against SMU the first time around, and it was one of his two double-doubles on the season. SMU is not a great rebounding team, and Walker did take advantage of that the first time these two teams played. Now, one guy that I think this is an absolute smash spot for is Washington State's Muhammad Gay. He has shown legitimate six times upside. He had a 50 point or 50 fantasy point performance three games ago, and he has two other 40 fantasy point performances in his last four games. So three out of his last four, he's been over 40, and one of those was 50, like I said. Now, he also, like, when you look at his game log, he dominates against poor rebounding teams, and Oregon State is one of those poor rebounding teams. So I think there's a lot of upside for Muhammad Gay in this one, and I think that because... He plays in the Pac-12, and he's kind of not really super known. I think you might get away with a little bit of a lower number in terms of ownership on him. He is one of my favorite plays for this Thursday night slate. Now, speaking of guys that have matchups against poor rebounding teams, there are two more on this slate, and that is UCF's Taylor Hendricks going up against Memphis and Colorado's Tristan Da Silva as well. Now, for Ohio State, I'm down in the 7K range now. Zed Key and Bryce Sensiball. Both really had good showings the first time against Iowa. Remember, they scored 93 total points, so it makes sense that their better players had better fantasy outputs, right? So they had a combined 63.6 fantasy points against Iowa. Both of them hit four times value. I don't necessarily know if that will happen again. Between the two of them, I would probably consider Key a better option because he's a little cheaper and because I think he's going to have a little bit of an advantage going up against Philip Rebracha. But I think that both of them are definitely in play on this slate, especially in a game environment that's one of the best on the slate. Loyola Marymount's Kelly LaPepe is a bit of a misprice in my opinion, but then I looked at what I, you know, kind of looked at what I saw the first time against Gonzaga for him, and he only had 23.8 fantasy points, and so that's not exactly what we would be hoping for, but I do think that generally speaking, his, you know, his production outweighs his price. Now heading down to the 5k range, USC is not a great rebounding team, and so for Cal, Lars Timon might be a guy that can take advantage of that, like I said, this Cal offense has got to start doing something, right? Like they can't just keep scoring in the 40s every game. And so maybe Lars Timon, you know, gets a few offensive boards, gets a few putbacks, gives them the opportunity to get into the 50s or 60s. Just, you know, just kind of a 
I don't know, maybe a play that makes a little bit of sense. You, you know, at this point, we're looking for value. And so all these guys are going to have holes that you can poke in their game. Now, I was Patrick McCaffrey is still a bit underpriced to me coming off of his leave of absence. If he gets back to a full minute load, he is going to destroy this price tag. I will continue to play him just, you know, in case that does happen. I think the upside is absolutely worth it. Now, heading down to the 4K range, one injury that we do need to monitor is Joshua Morgan of USC. If he does continue to sit out, then Vincent Awushaklu is a high upside play going up against Cal. And we've talked about this with Cal and with Louisville, and I'm pretty sure there's one other team, but I can't think of them right now. But bad teams with bad offenses lend to a lot of defensive rebounds. And so that would be a big opportunity for Awuchukwu to get you a lot of rebounds. And if Joshua Morgan's sitting, then there's no real guy to take minutes from him. And so even if it does turn into a blowout, Awuchukwu could see a lot of minutes. If Joshua Morgan sits, I think this is an absolute smash spot for Awuchukwu. Looking in the 4K range as well, Loyola Marymount's Alex Merkviladze. I think I nailed that. Did not play the last time against Gonzaga. However, he has shown legitimate six times upside, and he's one of Loyola's bigger guys. So his size is going to be needed to bang down low with Drew Timmy, and they're going to have to stop Drew Timmy if they want to win this game. Lahat Thune of UCF. I think I got that one right. I don't know. I had French in high school, but I, I've never seen that word before. Lahat Thune. He's a big guy that plays a lot of minutes for UCF and does not have a lot of great production per minute. But this game is like the best environment it could possibly be for him. We mentioned earlier about Taylor Hendricks that Memphis is a poor rebounding team. Memphis is also a team that plays very fast. So you got tempo up, you got a poor rebounding team, and you got a guy that plays a lot of minutes. I think he does have a little bit of upside, and maybe that fantasy points per minute that he averages that is not so good, maybe he can exceed that and give us a good performance. Now the last guy that I do want to mention is Loyola Marymount's Rick Asanza. He has a great game log for somebody at his price tag. I don't know much about the guy, but you know at this point in the 3K range, you're just throwing darts, and I think that he is a dart that you might could get to work for you. All right, guys, that does it for the Thursday night college basketball DFS slate for FanDuel and DraftKings. If you want to see how I compiled all that information and put it into my lineups for both sites, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. And make sure you rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. It really helps me out a lot. Um, and if you subscribe, you'll be alerted when we drop our next episodes, which there will be one coming for the Friday night college basketball games. And depending on how my schedule works out, I could possibly end up doing one, another one on a late Friday night for the Saturday slate as well. I could also potentially have a conference championship game that I'm coaching in for basketball. Um, and so if that ends up happening, then uh, the chances are a little slim of having the preview for Saturday. Um, but I'll let you guys know how it goes. For now, the plan is to see if I can get that Friday night episode recorded. So that way, Saturday, you guys can listen to it and have your lineups ready on the main Saturday slate, which is a big one for college basketball DFS. All right, so... As always, best of luck to all you guys in all your DFS endeavors. Hopefully I gave you guys a lot of good plays that you can use. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you all next time.